Good morning, church family. In case you haven't had your first cup of coffee, I'm not Pastor Mark. I'm Chaplain Bill, your pastor behind the walls of the New Hampshire State Prison, and I'm so happy to be here with you today. Any veterans here today? Raise your hand. Happy Veterans Day. Maybe you've been thanked already, but you can't be thanked enough. Thank you for your service, and thank you for being here with us today. We've been going through a new series where we've been taking some characters and just examining their lives out of the Bible and seeing what we can learn from them. And today, we're going to look at Hannah. And Hannah is most known for Hannah's prayer in the book of 1 Samuel, if you want to go there. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And in this place, in this particular time, this is around 1100 BC, it was a while ago. In this particular time, this is the end of a period called the Judges, where people, it says in the scriptures, did what was right in their own eyes. And it says that Israel did not have a king. And this had been going on for over 300 years. So the people started asking for a king because they wanted to be like their neighbors. Even though they had God who had led them out of Egypt and given them a new land to live in and had rescued them over and over from their neighbors, they wanted a human king. And we can put that under the category of be careful what you ask for because their first king was not so great. But then God gave them not what they wanted, but what they needed in King David. But there's an important story that is in 1 Samuel that happens before David that God thought was so important. He started the book of Samuel with the story of Hannah. So we'll start here in 1 Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And it says there was a certain man from Ramiathim, a Zuphite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuph. He had a lot of fathers, some, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives, and one was called Hannah, and the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had none. So here, right away, we can see the conflict. At that time in history, uh, the women, whether you good or bad, right or wrong, this was the day, women were identified with having children. That was their main purpose. And it was an, an important purpose in that day. First of all, as an Israelite, you know, God called, a, called uh, Israel to be fruitful and multiply, right? You had to have children to fulfill God's promise. They had just gotten the promised land. They needed to populate the land for their national survival. They needed to have children. They needed to protect themselves from their neighbors. And that was done through having many children for the army, for tribal continuity. They needed children. They were descendants of Abraham. So each family, each tribe, you wanted children to continue your name and your tribe. It would be a horrible thing for your family name to be lost out of the descendants of Abraham because you didn't have children. 
There was also important personal purposes for having children. That was basically your retirement plan. So if you had uh, 10 children, there was a high mortality rate. Maybe some of them would survive, and maybe the one, out of the ones that survived, some of them might take care of you when you were older. Maybe you had a farm, maybe you had a business, you needed workers. Few people could afford to hire workers, so you had your children to work. So this was a really important function for women in that day, was to have children. In fact, if you didn't have children, you know, there was a sense that you were kind of lesser than, that there was something missing, that you weren't complete, because that was such an important part of life for a woman, was to have children and provide in that way. So Penina, one wife had children, Hannah, the other, did not. And it says in verse 3, year after year, this man went up his, uh, went from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, who were uh, corrupt, by the way, and ran the temple, the two sons of Eli, were priests to the Lord. And whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife Penina and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and could not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping and why don't you eat? Why are you so downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Isn't that nice? He didn't read like the five love languages. I don't think, I don't think arrogance is a love language. You know? He tried. He tried. But you know, it's interesting that whenever you read about bigamy in the Bible, it's never a happy story. Do you ever notice that? God's plan for marriage is one man, one woman in marriage. Okay? And this is a history book. So... This is not prescriptive, it's descriptive. Because people does do things doesn't mean that God approves of what they do. This is a story about what happened. God does not advise bigamy. And when you read these stories about bigamy, you're probably not going to want to do it either. <laughs> okay, it doesn't end well. And it says, notice it doesn't say uh, her, her sister wife. Right? Her rival. So you have Penina who has children, Hannah who doesn't. And she lords that over her. This is her competitor wife. And she doesn't ever let her forget it. Can you imagine? You're Hannah. Day after day, year after year, she's just digging you. Right? Hey, uh, Elkanah, let's go to the park with the kids. Oh, oh, Hannah, you can find something else to do. Or, hey, you know, uh, I thought that we and the children, our children you know, could go out and share in some fun. Uh, you know, Hannah, you, you know, you can find something else to do. And why do we have Hannah here today? She doesn't even have kids. She's not fulfilling her purpose. I'm your real wife, am I not? And imagine how that would make you feel. It says that for Hannah, it made her weep, and she got to the point where she just refused to eat. And her husband, as kind as he was, and as much as he tried, he kind of minimized her pain and didn't understand why he wasn't enough. 
In fact, he gave her double portions of carrots every now and then, and she still didn't seem to respond to that. So Hannah probably feels, you know, kind of alone in her pain and in her household, you know, isolated, you know, by her rival. And as we read through the story, there's a lot more deeper hurt. It says that she's bitter and weeping, that she's miserable and feeling forgotten by God, that she's deeply troubled and needing to pour out her soul, feeling anguish and grief. Think about the worst days of your life. So if you've got gray hairs, I know you've had them. You know, something like this, where you just felt forgotten by God and deep anguish and helpless and that your life is just adding up to nothing. I think Hannah needs a move and that she's crying out to God. It says in verse 9, once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up and now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. And in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you would only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son and then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. And as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. And Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you hold on to your wine? Get rid of it. And not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled, and I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not make your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, go in peace then, and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. So they're at this festival, and it doesn't say which festival it is. Maybe it's the festival of shelters, or, or maybe he just goes down there every year to do a thank offering. He sounds like a holy man. In the, my Bible notes, it says he was probably a Levite. So this is supposed to be a happy occasion. So Hannah is miserable. Her life is awful, and they're on this uh, family vacation to thank God for all his blessings. And in the midst of this uh, offering, and this is probably a crowded room at the temple where they, I don't know if you've ever been at like a, a family event, everyone's got tables, and they get a portion of the, of the animal that they sacrifice, and they're all there eating, and then Hannah stands up. She's got all this pain in her heart, all these questions in her mind, probably question, you know, where is God in all this? You know, why am I going through all this misery? And then she stands up. She stands up. You know, in Celebrate Recovery, we have a saying that says, when your pain outweighs your fear, then you're ready. When the pain of what you're going through when the pain of your life is so great, when your hurts, habits, and hang-ups are weighing on you so heavily that it outweighs the fear of what people think. It outweighs the fear of 
what the solutions might be and how your life might have to change. It outweighs the fear of the work that you may have to do to get right, to fix your life. When your pain outweighs your fear, you're ready for healing. Hannah is ready for a move. She's ready and she stands up and she doesn't care what anybody thinks. She's right in the middle of dinner. And she just stands up. She doesn't care what Elkanah thinks. She doesn't care what Penina thinks. She doesn't care what the children are thinking. She doesn't care what the neighbors are thinking. She just stands up and she goes to God. And she just starts praying. And starts emptying out her soul. It says at first that she's doing it out of bitterness. Anyone here familiar with the uh, five stages of grief, right? You got denial, anger, negotiation, depression, and then what? Acceptance. You can see, you're going to see all this in this one passage, right? Has she been in denial probably for years? Yeah, I can do it. Let's just keep trying. There's nothing wrong with me. Right? I can do this. This is, this is all right. It's going to be all right. Right? Name it and claim it. I prayed. You know, God's going to do it. It's going to be fine. Right? And then it doesn't happen. So, and these things don't happen in order. She's angry. You know, she's depressed. Now she's negotiating. God, if you just give me the child, I'll give it back to you. I'll give it back. Just let me have the child. I'll give it back to you. I remember this old Burt Reynolds movie. I forget the name of it. I think it was in like the 80s or the 90s. And uh, he's had this on-again, off-again relationship with God. And around the end of the movie, he's in this pond and he's drowning. And while he's going down, he's negotiating with God. God, if you save me, I'll give you all my wealth, all my income. And, and I'll, just, I, I'll just give it to you. If you just save me. And then as he kind of starts making his way to the surface, he starts, 80% God. 80. 80%. 80%. Then he starts swimming to the shore. 50% God. Nobody gets 50%. And then 40%. He gets to the shore. 10% God. That's, that's more than enough. And then he's walking on the shore. He said, you don't need my money. Yeah. It's fine. You're, you got plenty. And she's negotiating before God. It says, out of the bitterness of her soul. She has this tug of war going on with God. Maybe you've done that with your life. What are the things that you wanted in your life? And it's just not appearing. And you wrestle with God. God, why? Why is life this way? Why are things this way? Why do I have to go through this? But this is just the beginning of her prayer because something extraordinary happens in Hannah's prayer. In verse 12, it says, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth and Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips weren't moving. Or her lips were moving, but there was no sound coming out. 
Have you ever prayed that way? Where your pain is so deep and you just can't make the words. In Romans 8, 26, it says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows our mind. The mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Something's happening in Hannah's heart beyond the negotiating. Something's changing in this prayer as we're going to see. She's pouring out her soul but God is putting something in. Look what it says in verse 18, that second part of verse 18. After she says to Eli, may your servant find favor in his eyes, it says, then she went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and she worshiped the Lord and went back to her home in Ramah. And Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel because I asked the Lord for him. You see a difference in Hannah? She, in this prayer, after she had had enough, poured out her soul, and now she's willing to give back to God what she valued the most. What she wanted the most was a child. That's why she went into prayer. Now she's willing, if she has a child, to give it back to God as a priest. The shaving of the head, Nazarite vow, Samson, right, John the Baptist, she was willing to give that child to the temple to raise it. She's returning kindness for insult. So Eli sees her praying, says, hey, you little drunk, what are you doing here? Right? Get out of my temple. And she repays them, not by saying, hey, start arguing, but I'm just here in pain. May your servant find favor in your eyes. Her face is no longer downcast. She got up early the next morning and worshipped the Lord. She had relations with her husband. And she no longer pined about the child having a child, but she went on with her life. And it says in the course of time, now that could be weeks, months, or years. She went on with her life. In her life, listen, her life was no longer defined by her barrenness. 
She moved on. Something happened in Hannah's heart. Now here's the typical order of what we would expect for that kind of response. Hannah suffered. Hannah prayed. Hannah conceived. And then Hannah worshipped. And Hannah gave glory to God. Right? Hannah, prayed, Hannah suffered, prayed, conceived, and worshipped. But that's not what happened. What happened was Hannah suffered, prayed, worshipped, and in the course of time, conceived and gave glory to God. That's an important order. It doesn't say what God said to Hannah. It doesn't say that God said anything to Hannah in her prayer. But something happened in Hannah's heart. And I think what happened was God changed her heart when she poured out her soul. Because it changed what she was asking for. If we would just consider, if we would just stop seeking to change God in our prayer and start asking God to change us. Maybe we would get the same result. Are we wrestling with God in our suffering and asking God to change everyone around us, everything around us, when what God really wants is to change us? As Hannah prayed, God changed her heart. She was no longer defined by her barrenness. And she found her significance, not in what the culture expected of her, to be a childbearer, but she found her significance in being a child, a child of the king, a daughter of the king. Her sense of worth, her sense of value, Change from what the expectations of a nation, the expectations of a tribe, the expectations of a family, and the expectations maybe of her husband and of herself for her happiness to be fulfilled now lies not in those things, but in being a child of God. How do you measure your value? What makes you happy? Do you have goals that you've made or that someone else has made for you? Is that where your joy and peace come from? Later in the course of time, she was blessed with a child. And she kept her vow, not out of bitterness. She didn't drop off the child on the doorstep. She weaned the child and then she brought it to the temple with a thank offering, grateful that God blessed her and happy to keep her vow that that child would be raised in the temple. Here are some things that came out of Hannah's prayer. First, the source for peace, joy, and self-worth are no longer tethered to the world's standards, but in God. 
And God is pleasable, by the way. Here's some great things about changing what makes you happy, changing about what makes you feel valuable from the world standards to God. First of all, God is pleasable. How do you please God? By obeying his word. And when you make a mistake, he has an abundance of grace, love, and mercy for you when you fall short. Right? God never changes. He never changes. What happens when you make friends and you depend on their love? Friends find other friends. <laughs> Children grow up and they leave the house. You buy a new car, the new car smell is gone, you want another car. You know you do. You buy a house, it gets old. Needs repair. You want another house. You want an increase in pay. You just spend more. Right? You want a better title. You get a better title. It just brings more work, less respect. Okay? But when you change and orient your life from those things to pleasing God, that's where your peace comes from. That's where our joy lives. Remember Jesus said, where your heart is, there also your treasure will be. Or the other way around. Both work. When God is our treasure, our joy never leaves us. Because circumstances can't take it away. Hannah found what her heart really sought in that prayer. Love, acceptance, and fulfillment from her maker. She thought what she really wanted was a child. And I'm not, listen, child, I love kids. <laughs> right? But there's only one thing that can fulfill us. And that's God's love in the person of Jesus Christ. And I want you to remember in the story, it was God who closed Hannah's womb. And that's what brought her suffering. And it didn't cause her suffering. It was Hannah's desires that caused her suffering, but it was God who closed her womb. Why did he do that? Why would he do something like that? caused her not to have children. Well, as you go through the story, God closed her womb to shape her so that she would shape history. What if Hannah had a child when she was younger? What would she have done with that child? She would have kept it. She would have raised it. She would have done a great job, I'm sure. the child that she had after going through her suffering was Samuel. The two books of Samuel, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel are about this child. He was the 
one of the greatest judges in the book of Judges and Samuel. In fact, he was God's kingmaker. It was Samuel who led Israel from being a mess of 12 loose tribes and turned Israel into a kingdom. And he anointed the throne of David that would eventually become the throne of the king of kings, Jesus, whose kingdom will never end. This was the child that God was preparing Hannah to have. And Hannah suffered. But she was changed in her sufferings. So that she would get to a place where she could do God's will. Are you suffering today? Are you asking why God is this happening? Maybe God is preparing you for something glorious. If you would just walk with him. Pour out your heart to him. And ask him not to change the circumstances, but to change you in them. Here are some lessons that we can learn from Hannah. First, we can let our joy, peace, and self-worth come from the Lord and not from the world. It's the only way we can be satisfied. Second, that God hears our prayers, especially when we pour out our heart and soul to him. And thirdly, all of our suffering has purpose even if we don't see the end. What do you think Hannah thinks right now? That she is in heaven with the Lord looking down on her life. You think, wow, my life, it was crappy. It was hard. No. She's thinking, wow. Look what God did with my life. I was part of God's plan to create the throne of the Savior. She's dancing. And that's our future as well. If we can learn to walk, walk with God through our suffering. We tend to chase and choose the wrong things out of our fallen nature. Our desires are wrong. And we need to pray in the peaks and valleys of our life for God to change and redirect us so that his will can be done in our lives. You know, God's plan is always better. God's plan is always better. I don't know what your plan was for your life, what you wanted to do, what you wanted to be. God's plan is always better. It's always bigger. It's always grander than we can think or imagine even when we can't see the result. So let's have no regrets as we follow the Lord. Romans 8, 28 
It said, says God will turn good all things for those who love him and are called to his purpose. Our difficult days, our suffering, God is going to do something glorious with every tear, every effort. And when you meet him, he's going to answer every question about why. Today we look in a mirror as if it's a clouded mirror we don't see very well. But someday we're going to know, just as we're perfectly known, exactly what God was doing. And one thing I would add to this list is you can't outgive God. We can't understand giving a child to a temple to be raised by a priest. Now maybe some of you have been in in a position where you gave up a child and God bless you for doing that. But you cannot outgive God. When we surrender to the Lord, he gives us back so much more. The last thing it says about Hannah is in chapter 2. Elkanah and Hannah doesn't say anything about Penina. But they went back to the temple every year. And in verse 19 of chapter 2, it says, Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. And Eli would bless, would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman and take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. And they would go home, and the Lord was gracious to Hannah. And she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up, grew up in the presence of the Lord. God always provides. He always gives us the desires of our hearts. Usually when we think of Hannah's prayer, we think of chapter 2, the first 10 verses, and it's a beautiful, poetic, prophetic prayer. But when I think of Hannah's prayer, I think of that prayer in chapter 1, which is a transformational prayer that reveals how God works in our suffering. Are you going through trials today? Are you suffering today? Are you bitter? Miserable, forgotten by God? Deeply troubled? Do you want his peace and joy? Does your pain outweigh your fear? If the answer is yes, Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The world will never give you peace. The cars, the money, the kids, it will never give you peace. But Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. 
I don't give you peace as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled and don't be afraid. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up in front of the stage here before the worship. And I want to invite you to not be afraid. It's time to let the rote prayers go. I love the Our Father. Let it go. I want you to come up today and feel free to pour out your soul to the Lord for whatever you're troubled with and burdened with. And let him do a work in your heart. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, let today be the day of your salvation. To let go of the world and let Jesus be the center of your joy and peace. Let's pray. Holy Father, we are so grateful that you never leave us nor forsake us. And that everything we do, everything that we go through, you give purpose. And that you will turn our trash into treasure, our suffering into joy. And on the day that you call us home, we will see all the great things that you have done with our lives as we surrender to you. For those that don't know you, Father, I pray that this very day that they will invite you into their heart, recognize that we are separated from you by our sin, and that there is a Savior, that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by him, and that he is our provider, that he is our hope, Lord, and that he is going to renew us and restore us in every way. I pray for your will to be done in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for watching us online. We're so glad that you joined us. We trust that Jesus has spoken to your heart and you've been challenged by his word. If you'd like to know more information about Grace Capital Church, please visit us at gccnh.com. We'll see you next time.